Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Welcome back to our series in Philippians. We call this series EG uh, because we're following Jesus' example uh, in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. We've already spent a little bit of time looking at the special relationship that Paul had with these uh, these believers. He planted this church in Philippi. These people there were his close friends. And so the warmth of that relationship is expressed in this letter. Um, we've also looked at how Paul saw his circumstances, even though he was in prison in Rome and the believers in Philippi were experiencing persecution. He believed in all of that, God's plan was still being worked out. And that's the perspective that he brought when he wrote this letter to the Philippian church. And also last week, Chris looked at how we should have this stickability. We should be anchored into our faith uh, in the love of God. And so regardless of circumstance, we live lives of faith and not fear. Well, today we're going to look at this a piece of writing, a poem that stands at the centre of this letter in Philippians. So let's begin by reading it together. It's in chapter 2. Let's read from chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now some theologians would say that if you think of the text in the Bible as a mountain range, then this section in Philippians is one of the highest peaks in that mountain range. And what makes this text so unique and so significant is that it tells us all about Jesus. It's sort of a biography of his life and his thinking. It tells us that he was God. It tells us that he became a human. It tells us that he came as a servant. It tells us that he humbled himself to death on a cross. And it tells us that God exalted him to the highest place. We live in a culture, don't we, where we know everything about everyone. Uh, we use the, the platform of social media to tell everyone everything about our lives, so where we are, uh, what we're eating, uh, what we're, we're doing, uh, in lockdown maybe what we're making, how we're exercising. We tell people every detail of our lives. We tell them our opinions and our thoughts. And it seems that we live in a society where everybody knows everything about everybody else. The key thing about this section of Philippians is it gives us insight into the person of Jesus Christ. It tells us 
all about him. It tells us what he did, but it also tells us something really significant. It tells us what he thought, what his motivations were in doing what he did. And that's what makes this piece of writing so significant in this letter. Paul has taken essentially what is a poem and inserted it into this letter to the Philippian church. And he wants to show us what Jesus was thinking, what was in the mind of Christ, so that we would be able to have our minds changed by understanding this, this revelation of who Jesus was and why he did what he did. I want to ask you this morning, when is the last time you changed your mind on something? In truth, most of our thinking is actually quite rigid and inflexible. It takes a lot for many of us to change our mind on a particular thing because we've, we've made up our mind on so many things and our thinking then becomes fixed, it becomes unchanging. And a lot of the information we take into our lives on our daily basis kind of passes through the mental grid of our thinking and a lot of it we kind of dismiss, uh, some of it we mentally bin and some of it we just say that's interesting and we kind of file it away for reference, nothing more. Paul doesn't give these revelations in Philippians for us to just look at this poem, this biography of Jesus and just say that's, that's interesting and kind of file it away for future use. What he does when he writes this to the Philippian church and later we get to read what he wrote. This is here to create a change in our thinking, to change our minds. Paul shows us Jesus' mind so that we get our minds changed in the process. He says this, he says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And literally that means have Jesus' mind in you. Have Jesus' mind in your mind, in your thinking. So Paul gives the revelation in this, this beautiful poem to bring about transformation in our own thinking. Not just for us to say, well, that was interesting information, but it's there to bring about transformation in the way we think, and that affects the way we act. And there are key, three key truths I want to look at that are present in this section today, and that are gonna help us change our minds, change our thinking, bring transformation in our lives. The first was Jesus was God. The second was Jesus became human. And the third is that Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross. So this poem, this, this section of writing, starts by telling us that Jesus was very, the very nature God, the very nature of God. And the word used for nature in the NIV, is, it's a Greek word, morphe. And the word morphe has to do with the inner qualities that make something something. It's not to do with externals, it's not to do with appearance, it's to do with the very unique qualities that make something what it is. We use that word morphe in our English language for words like metamorphosis, uh, describing an internal change. So Paul is telling us that Jesus is in the very nature of God. He's not someone who looks like God. He's not someone who is kind of a facsimile of God. He's not even a a kind of a lower version of God, like a demigod. Actually, he's saying that Jesus is the morphe of God. Jesus possesses all the things that make God God are in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is a key aspect of what Paul is trying to convey as he writes to the Philippians. Many uh, heresies, untruths grew up in the early church because people struggled 
with the reality that somehow God could become in human form. And so many untruths began to be taught in the early church. There was a bishop called uh, Arius around AD 300. He taught that God created Jesus at a later point in time. And because God had created Jesus at a later point in time, then Jesus could, could never be equal with God. He was always inferior to God. Another heresy was taught by an elder called Origen around AD 185 to 250. He taught that Jesus was some sort of subordinate to the Father, uh, an inferior version of God. And then there were untruths taught around an idea called adoptionism, that Jesus was just an ordinary man until his baptism, at which point God sort of supernaturally adopted him and changed him and empowered him. And all these deviations from the truth of who Jesus is and, uh, and was, are people trying to reconcile this extraordinary fact that somehow God came in human form. And today, if you ask a lot of people about Jesus, they might believe that he existed historically. They might believe he was a great teacher. They might believe um, he had a lot of wisdom. <clears throat> he had a lot of good stuff to say. They might even believe that he had some sort of supernatural healing ability. And some folks would say that Jesus is a man who's grown in myth over time, that he just started out as a nice guy, going around doing nice things to people. And over the hundreds of years have gone by, his reputation has become elevated to the point where he's now seen as divine. None of these explanations sit right with what's been explained here in Philippians. Jesus's reputation didn't grow over time. The poem that Paul quotes in Philippians uh, is a very early piece of writing. Paul is writing about 20 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, around AD 50. But the poem he's quoting here, he didn't write. He's just inserted that into his letter. And actually it's a piece of writing that goes back to much earlier in the life of the church, probably right around the birth of the church, just after Jesus' death and resurrection this poem, this piece of writing was written as kind of a way to help the church remember and, and reflect on the fact that Jesus clearly was God. And so for the early believers, they had no problem understanding that Jesus was God. They didn't come to that point over time, over hundreds of years. Jesus' reputation didn't grow and become elevated. Right at the inception of the church, those first believers understood and and reflected on the fact that Jesus really was God in human form. And that's really an extraordinary thing to reflect on because Jesus claimed to be God and then he lived a life that convinced those around him that he was God. Just imagine your life being examined and scrutinized in the same way that Jesus's life was examined and scrutinized. He convinced the people around him by the way he lived and by the way he acted and by the things he did, that he really was God in human form. And we have to remember the people he was with were Jews. They were, they were a hard bunch to convince because they believed that God was transcendent. He was above all. He, he wasn't, he wasn't going to come down and be present in human form. So they were a tough act to convince. And, and yet Jesus lived in such a way that he substantiated his claims. That what he said about himself, they came to believe was true. And they enshrine those truths in this poem that sits at the heart of Philippians. So how should this fact that if Jesus is God, how should it change 
our minds? How should it affect us? <clears throat> if you come to the conclusion that Jesus wasn't just a historical figure, that he wasn't just a great teacher or even a healer or even a man of myth and legend, if, he, if you come to the conclusion that Jesus really was God, how should it change our thinking? Our thinking? The author John Stott said that if you read the Gospels, you can't come to a moderate reaction over Jesus Christ. The people who met Jesus reacted in very extreme ways. Some of them, um, some of them hated him. Some of them feared him. And some of them were overjoyed to have found him. And so what John says is you can't just have an interesting reaction to Jesus. You can't just say, yeah, I, I like Jesus. You, know, you can't just like him. Because if you really meet Jesus, then the only way you can react to him is extremely. It is fully, is totally. There can't be just this, I end up liking him, and then you mentally file him away as a person of interest. Because if Jesus wasn't God, and he said the things he said, then he was just a megalomaniac. And there's nothing to like about a person like that. But if Jesus was God, and what he said was true, then that changes everything. And the only way we, we can respond to that is with a, with a full-on response, with an extreme response, with everything that is within us. The other thing that's amazing about the fact that if we believe Jesus is God, then we begin to get a window into this community that exists within the heart of God. If God, the Father, is God, and if Jesus is God, then we are being, we begin to see a relationship that exists within God himself. And if we introduce also the Holy Spirit into that relationship, we have a triune God who exists in three persons. And those three persons are in relationship and community with each other. And those three persons are each individually fully God and yet make up one God. And so we have this extraordinary window into this eternal community that exists within within God. And if we don't believe that Jesus was God, then we end up with a defective understanding of God because then God would have been a God who, who was alone and he needed to create things to have relationship with. He, he needed to create things to have to find love with, to have a loving relationship with. And so that reduces Jesus to just a created thing to meet the needs of God, to meet a love need that God had. But if Jesus is God, and God the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, then from that position, from that relationship, that pre-existent relationship, that beginningless relationship that has been eternal, from that place, then love flows. You see, God didn't create us to get love. He created us to give love. He created us so that the love that existed within himself, between the person of the Trinity, could flow out to you and to me. That's the love that God wanted to show us. And this, this changes our minds because it gives us a whole new dynamic for the way that we are called to relate to other people, to relate to those around us. Paul said this at the start of this, of this section, he said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The knowledge that God has been in this continued relationship changes the way we see God 
and changes the way we relate to God and to others. You see, Jesus came to serve us. He didn't come to meet our needs. And one of the biggest temptations that we face is that as we, as we look to relate to other people, as we look to serve other people, we're in danger of looking to those people to meet our needs rather than us serving their needs. And if we don't come to Christ Jesus and allow him to fill us and form us, then there's a risk that we go out to people just looking to get our needs met. We, we don't love them as Christ loved us. And if that happens, if you go out looking for those needs without the mind of Christ, then sooner or later you're going to get disappointed because the people you're serving or relating to will not act in the way you want them to. They'll, they'll, they'll disappoint you. They'll maybe hurt you, maybe even reject you. And, um, and, and that will affect you because you're not serving them from a place of having a mind of Christ. You're serving them to get your own needs met. And if we keep on relating to people in this way, we end up getting bitter and we end up getting hurt. But if we have the mind of Christ, if we have Jesus's mind and love in us, it changes the way we relate. You see, Jesus went out from the community of the Trinity to serve us. And we need to go out from the, the community of God's love to serve other people. It starts with us being secured in the love of God. And then we can move out to serve and relate to people in a healthy way. And the bottom line is, unless we get our identity and our security rooted in God's love, then we won't be able to relate to other people in a healthy way. We'll go out not to give love, but we'll go out to get it. So how do we move out in, in, in the mind of Christ? Well, I think we have to ask ourselves some questions. You know, Do I recognise that I'm forgiven and accepted through Jesus Christ? Do I understand that I'm a son or a daughter of the King? Do I understand that I'm loved and utterly accepted? Do I understand that my new identity is in Christ Jesus? Do I understand that whatever I do, God will not love me any more or any less because of my performance. And if we have this mindset, we're free to venture out into relationships and we're free to serve those around us. We become what are called differentiated people. And what that means is we can deeply connect with people around us. We can deeply love and serve those people, but we, we, their behaviours, they don't affect the way that we are. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a separation. We're secure in Christ. And so our reactions and, and our emotions aren't determined by the way they are. We can actually, there's a, there's a separation in Christ. And that's really important. And it's not about us becoming emotionally disconnected or stoic or in, or in some way denying what's going on. It means that we're not looking to other people or other circumstances for our happiness and our peace. Things don't have to go a certain way for us to find peace and happiness. And I think this current pandemic is a great example of that because so much of what happens in our life, we have little or no control over. We might think we do, but in fact, we have very little control over most of what happens around us. And if we spend all our time trying to manage and control and get anxious about that, or trying to manage people's reactions and, and behaviors, then we're not, we're not acting in the mind of Christ. Ignatius of Loyola, he was one of the founders 
of the Jesuit movement. He said this, We should not fix our desires on health or sickness, wealth or poverty, success or failure, a long life or a short one, for everything has the potential of calling forth in us a more loving response to our life forever with God. Our own desire and our one choice should be this. I want and choose what better leads to God's deepening life in me. So Ignatius said, everything that happens has the potential of calling forth more of more love in us. Even this pandemic has the opportunity and potential to call forth more love in us. The things that happen that we can't control has the potential to call forth more love in us. When you read about the life of Paul, the, the writer of this letter to the Philippians, uh, he seemed to possess this unsinkable buoyancy uh, in terms of the way that he approached life and relationships. He said, if God is for me, is for us, who can be against us? And Paul, it seemed to resolve that if Jesus really was God and he'd encountered Jesus and Jesus' spirit was present in him, then it changed everything. That what could this life throw at him that he needed to worry or be fearful about? He went on to say this, he said, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If Jesus is God and he's come into our lives by his spirit, then it changes everything. It changes the way we think about everything. Having this truth in our mind, it frees us from being people of fear, or anxiety or control. It frees us to love and to relate and to serve in a completely different way. Let's look at the next section. Jesus became human. It says in verses six to seven, this is Jesus. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Paul tells that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be kept or held onto or, or grasped. He made himself nothing. And the word again is the morphe word. It's used to describe Jesus taking on the nature of a human. So Jesus being God became human. Jesus didn't stop being God, but he became God in human form. He became, if you will, a, a God man. He became both at once. He was divine and he was human. And Christianity is the only religion where God is said to inhabit a body. We could say that the, the God of the Bible is the only God for whom matter really matters. God's interested in, in this stuff. He's interested in, in the physical of, of, of the world around us. And uh, many, many religions just, just cannot possibly conceive of the fact that God could actually take on matter, take on form. That would somehow render God less God. But for Christianity, God brings the physical and the spiritual together. Where sin, we, we describe sin as, as sort of anything that separates us from God, where sin breaks the connection between the spiritual and the physical. You could say that we, before Christ, we are physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. In Christ, 
that the physical and the spiritual are, are reconciled back together. There's no schism between them. If we elevate the spiritual over the physical, then we end up really struggling with, with, with matter, with stuff. We feel that all that stuff is, is polluted and we disengage uh, from the physical. We, we, you know, Christians who elevate the spiritual find it very hard to get involved in, in social transformation because they just see it all as being as rubbish anyway. It's just all polluted. Why bother? Why bother trying to transform our communities? Because you know, the, the, real, the real place is the spiritual place. That's where all the good stuff is. Or if we have no expression of spirituality in our lives and we elevate the physical over the spiritual, we just look to our stuff, our bodies and our, the stuff that we can get into our lives and how many possessions we have. And we look to that to give us purpose and meaning. And so we can fall into an ascetic ditch where we try and deny our physicality or we can fall into a carnal ditch where we become overly worldly and excessive in what we choose to do and focus on. Jesus reconciled the physical and the spiritual together and he did that in his own form he brought both together and made them whole and we can we find that in Christ Christ brings the spiritual and the physical together so we can be people who are interested in the spiritual and physical transformation of our communities because both are valid and both are important in Christ Jesus So we need to be people of prayer, we need to be people of worship, we need to be people who act, we need to be people who serve. We, we see in the life of Jesus an example of someone who was spiritually and physically, holistically present. It says in Colossians 2.9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So in Jesus' physical humanity we have, have all the fullness of God present. And if Jesus is God and Jesus came as a human, then he fully understands you. He fully understands me. He knows all my struggles. He knows all my anxieties. He, he's experienced all the stuff that I'm going through. He came to earth and he lived a life where he experienced all the stuff that you and I experience. And that means we can go to him and he knows, he understands. He's not a God who is far away and distant and out of touch. He's a God who fully understands in his humanity all the things that we go through in our humanity. He knows what it is to live, he knows what it is to laugh, what it is to suffer. He knows all the things that we go through. The writer of the book of Hebrews, he puts it like this. He says, we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. Let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. That's Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 from the Message Translation. Jesus came as this human being so we could fully relate to him. But he also came as a servant. He didn't choose to come as a king or a powerful person. He cho chose to come as a person who would serve. He chose to come as a person who would reverse what we want to do he was God and he made himself nothing we are nothing and most of us want to become gods we want to become somebody we want to become something we want to make our mark on the world but Jesus chose to go low he didn't he didn't have to hang on to his equality with God he chose to go low to come and serve us and that's where we can encounter him 
We don't encounter God by going up. We encounter God by humbling ourselves and going low, as Jesus Christ did. He ultimately humbled himself to death on a cross. And you and I, we find our true lives and our true identity and our true purpose when we go low and we humble ourselves before Christ Jesus, just as he humbled himself. Jesus didn't come to dominate. He didn't come to, to, to control. He came to serve. He didn't demand. He invited you and I into relationship with him. He served the people he met. He, he fed them. He healed them. He prayed for them. He taught them. He invited them into a better future. And when he washed his disciples' feet on the night he was betrayed, he gave us a model of what it is to live in the kingdom, to serve and relate to those around us. Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross. That's, that's Jesus' story arc. We talked about this in our Go series back in February. Jesus was in very nature God, but he chose to make himself nothing as a servant. He chose to go low, to humble himself, to take on flesh, to become Emmanuel, God with us. And his ultimate act was to lay down his life for his friends, to lay down his life for you and to lay down his life for me. And he rose through death on a cross to be exalted by God the Father to the highest place. Paul says this in the back end of this section. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Paul is inviting you and I into this story. He's inviting your story and my story to be a lived expression of Jesus's story. He's our example to follow. He, we follow his story arc. His mind should be in us. Jesus chose not to exploit his position for self-advantage, but he emptied himself and became a servant. He allowed himself to be humiliated by death on a Roman cross, but through God's power and grace, he was resurrected and exalted to the highest seat that his name would be above every other name. So if Jesus is God, how does it change your mind today? If Jesus did become human, how does that change your mind? And if Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross for you and for me, how does that change your thinking and your mind today? You see, when Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself of all his power. And he came just as a, as a servant. He started life as a human baby in precarious circumstances. And all the stuff that we read about him in the Gospels, the, the miracles and the teaching and the healings and the wisdom and the way he related to people, all that came through his connection and relationship with the Father. We have to remember that he, he emptied himself. He was a human being. And yet through his connection with the Father, his obedience to, to God, and that connection with the Holy Spirit, he was able to do all the things that we read about in the Gospels. And he said this right at the very end of his life. He says, very truly, Jesus said, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So the anointing that rested on Jesus by the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, can rest on us. And we can do the things that Jesus did and we can do greater things. And Jesus showed us what a life dependent on the Father looks like. So maybe 
We need to think about how we change our minds today. Maybe changing your mind today means accepting that Jesus really was God. He really was God in human form. And maybe you need to move from a position where you think he's just a teacher or a nice man or someone that you like, but you filed away. Maybe today, the change of mind for you is realizing that God did come in human form in the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe it means humbling yourself for that truth. Maybe it means for the first time in your life, you get on your knees and you say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've, I've turned away from you. I'm sorry I've not received you. I'm sorry I've ignored you. I want to be in relationship with you today. Maybe it means trying to give up control of every part of your life. Maybe it means not feeling like you have to manage everything to be at peace and to find joy. Maybe it means becoming a person who can be differentiated and actually find your peace and joy in the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe realizing that the things that happen that are out of your control actually have the ability to call forth more love in you. Maybe when we read those words that Paul said, nothing can separate us from his love. Maybe some of that unsinkable buoyancy that was in Paul, maybe that starts to come into us and our faith rises and our expectation rises about what God can do in us and through us. So I'm going to pray as we close. Let's just pray and maybe you might want to close your eyes, open your hands and sort of open your mind to what God may want to do today in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in you. We pray today, Lord, that your mind might be in us, that we'll be free to live and to love and to, and to serve others, secure in the knowledge and the truth that we are found in you. Help us to grow in love towards you and towards those around us. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.